I live my life a quarter mile at a time. This is the nine days of Fast and Furious. Welcome to the nine days of Fast and Furious, Monkey Off My Backlog's first limited series. I'm your host, Sam Morris. With me is Tessa Suela and our special guest, friend of the pod, Colby Waddell of Never Made Varsity, Four Nations Report, and Martha and Colby Grow Up. I forgot to check with you beforehand. Is that all the right names? Today, we're talking about the film that started it all, 2001's The Fast and the Furious. But first, since the Gregorian calendar insists that the holiday season is upon us, let's talk about holiday spirit. Colby, how are you getting into the holiday spirit? I am getting into the holiday spirit by watching every family Christmas movie from the year 2000 to 2009. <laughs> it's been a really fun project. Wow. Yeah. Like uh, everyone on a certain network or just like? All of them. I am tracking them down. Theatrically released, not TV movies. Theatrically released movies. I had to give myself some parameters, but that's what I'm up to. Do you have a list, or did you just start chronologically, or, or both, I guess? Or what are we doing here? So I made, uh, for once in my life, I made a list <laughs> of movies to watch. Hooray, we did it! Out of necessity, it will never happen again. And the parameters I gave myself was 2000-2009 theatrical release. I started at PG-13, but then I realized that, like, is Eight Crazy Nights really a family movie? Um, Is The Family Man starring Nick Cage a family movie? So as we all know, if it's animated, it's family-friendly. That is a fact. Right, if it's, if it's a cartoon, it's for children. Now, I'm going to have to say a hard no on The Family Man, though. Hard no on that one. <laughs> but there are 11 movies that I identified, and we have watched eight of them so far. And also um, Santa Claus 1, because Santa Claus 1 did not come out in the 2000s. But if we're going to watch 2 and 3, you got to watch the first one. So you mentioned Eight Crazy Nights, the Santa Claus sequels, and The Family Man. What else is on the list? So, Family Man and Eight Crazy Nights, unfortunately, did not make the cut. I don't have it in front of me, but there was How the Grinch Stole Christmas 2000 uh, with Jim Carrey. Also, Jim Carrey in A Christmas Carol 2009. Uh, there's Deck the Hall's Christmas with the Cranks, which is my, which might be the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was The Perfect Holiday, which I had never heard of and was bad to find. Amongst others. Oh, Polar Express, of course, the one that everyone loves, Elf. The uh, Uncanny Valley Express. <laughs> I have... Wait, wait, where, do you, where do you stand on Polar Express? Some people love that movie, and some people love to hate on that movie. So I have a history with Polar Express. I saw it when I was... A, I think it came out in like 2004, so I was eight years old. The next year, uh, my fancy elementary school went on a field trip to the North Carolina Museum of Natural Science in Raleigh, and they have one of those gigantic, like, ceiling-covering IMAX screens. So I got to see Polar Express in IMAX 3D taking up the entire room, which is really cool. So it's always kind of held that sort of spot in my heart, even though um, the dead eyes of the children <laughs> in the movie 
uh, kind of got to me this time. <laughs> uh, by the way, I I think that, and and I'm not going to say that Tessa has or hasn't listened to the to the episode of your great podcast, Martha and Colby Grow Up, that I was on. However, I would like to say to you that on every podcast we ever do together, you and I, which I hope is many, many more, you have to mention your fancy elementary school every time. <laughs> it was a good experience, but literally, yeah, every single time we've talked. <laughs> yeah, because the first time I was on this podcast, we talked about how I learned Japanese in elementary school. It was a good elementary school. Support public. Go public. That's right. <laughs> what we do. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and Elf is overrated. That's the, what I'll, the last thing I'll say. Okay. Ooh, so controversial th- opinion. Is it? Yes. It's, it's, is it? It's overrated because everyone says it's the best Christmas movie, and it's not. If they would have just said it's a pretty good Christmas movie, then sure, it would be appropriately rated. And see, that's the, that's the thing. I think that's the weird take. You know, everybody says, oh, it's the best, or no, it's not. But nobody just says, you know, it's all right. Yeah, it's not because um, Unaccompanied Minors is better. Okay, so, so here's the, here it is then. Here's what we need. Top three Christmas movies of all time. Of all time? Okay. Who? With a possible, possible follow-up question. Unaccompanied Minors is up there. Can I expand it to TV movies? Well, I mean, Christmas is in your heart just like it is ours, so. Sure. All right, Unaccompanied Minors. Um, Olive, The Other Reindeer. And let's say Shazam. Oh, I hadn't thought of that as a Christmas movie. Okay, so here's your follow-up question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I have never seen Die Hard. <laughs> Are you going to go and find your copy of Die Hard to show him now? <laughs> I guess I'll... Did you have to find a copy of the mixtape last time? I guess we'll sit here and watch Die Hard for the next two hours. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I feel like we always, like, we have this conversation every year, and I know the internet loves to, like, go back and forth on whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. It does take place at Christmas. I think the only the only argument that I have heard that is semi-valid about it not being a Christmas movie was a bartender we had once told, we asked him this question, and he said that Christmas is not important to the plot of the movie. Like the, the movie could have happened at Easter and it still would have made sense. So it, that's why he said it wasn't a Christmas movie. Didn't it also come out in the middle of July? Yes. Now, here's the thing about that. Christmas is actually central to the plot of the movie. Because, and this is not a spoiler. This is like first five minute action. You, you can here. spoil Die Hard for me. I don't think. I, I, I know the Hans Gruber, you know. Snape is in the tower. He always is. They are. They they have planned specifically because there's a holiday party. There is no such thing as an Easter office party. That's that's just not something that's going to happen in L.A. at Nakatomi Tower. Now, the bartender in question also graduated from the University of Florida, so completely invalid points there. Yeah, that's right. I I don't know what to tell you. Go Gators. Sam, we're going to do something now that we like to do here at Monkey Off My Backlog. And that is to have a podcast within a podcast. Uh, here we go. I feel like there should be like a jingle here, like little jingle bells or something. Welcome to this edition of the fir- very first edition of Sam's Holiday Cocktail. Sam, what holiday cocktail are you drinking for this 
episode of the nine days of the fast and furious and how do you make it because podcasting is a visual medium i'm gonna hold up the drink that i'm drinking right now maybe you could hear some ice clinking then i don't know i started off christmas with what i think makes sense to me which is a halloween cocktail very good it is called yes so i'm building christmas cheer by doing that nightmare before christmas thing is it christmas is it halloween i don't know The name of this drink is the Skeleton Key. And so here's what you do. All you need is a glass and all the ingredients and a big cube of ice and something to stir it all with. What you do is you put, well, if you're me, you put two ounces of bourbon in first. And then you add a half ounce of lemon juice. And then you take something between three-fourths of an ounce and an ounce of elderflower liqueur. Put that in there. And then you add about six ounces of ginger beer. Now, we are not being paid by Lieber syrups out of Texas, but we should be because I don't use ginger beer. I use their fiery ginger syrup and soda water. So you put all that in, you mix it up, you put some ice on top, and then you put eight or more if you're me, and always add more to things, at least eight dashes of bitters on top, which is way more bitters than you should ever put in a drink. But The base of the drink itself goes sweet, so when you add the bitter to it, it just comes out really, really refreshing. And this has nothing to do with Christmas, but make a glass, put it together, and put on Nightmare Before Christmas, and argue, once again, is this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? This has been an episode of Sam's Holiday Cocktail. Five stars. Five right. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> we did the podcast. It's over. That's it. That's all we actually wanted. All, all right. right. Good times. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> all right. I'll see y'all later. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sam, tell us a little bit about this series and why you're, we're doing this pod and some background on the franchise. Okay. One day, back in the days of before everything was streaming, whatever year that was. Back in the days of digital cable, when you had like 27 off-brand movie channels up there in that tier, I turned the channels one day looking for something, and I saw a movie that caught my eye, and I just kept watching. And I was so invested in it that the next time it came on, I made a point to watch it from the beginning. The movie I'm talking about is Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, which is of course the third in the franchise, and we'll be talking about that in a couple of days. I thought it was much better than it had any right to be. And because I have list-making and completionist tendencies, as we've established on this podcast, I went back and started watching the movies, the Fast and Furious franchise, all the way up to, I think, number six, maybe? Definitely number five, maybe number six. I'm not going to say they run together in the middle point of the series, but... So, I've always meant to get back and watch more of the series, but I've been teasing Tessa since we met off and on about having never seen any of these movies, which the secret of these movies are they're better than they should be. That's, That's my hot take on the Fast and Furious franchise. It should not be good. It should be a dumb action movie franchise, which it is, but it is a good dumb action movie franchise. And We've spent more time watching more movies and doing more like extended watches than anything else this year. It's been the thing that's helped us get through 2020. So all of this is coming together to say what better way to finish out 2020 than to watch all of these movies 
And as we've talked about on Monkey Off My Backlog multiple times, if you don't record the conversation for a podcast, did it ever happen? All right. Yeah. And I I have never seen a Fast or a Furious. Colby, have you seen any of these films either? No, for I haven't until now. To me, they always seemed they ran in the same categories, Mission Impossible for me. And I was like, I I could go my whole life and never watch a Mission Impossible. Um, and then I was compelled to watch one. And then I watched another and another and another. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I prejudge these movies. Maybe I need to not do that. So I swear when Tessa said, hey, Colby, you want to do this podcast? I was like, I've never seen Fast and Furious. So let's watch Fast and Furious. So that's where I am. Gave it, gave it a chance. I have had the weird position of being aware of this franchise, but the more movies that have come out, the more I felt like it was impossible to start it. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I feel like every year I see a a trailer for another Fast and Furious movie, and they get progressively more stunty. Like I, I'm just like, wait, what just happened? What? I, so like I, I've had this experience of trying to follow this series by just watching the trailers whenever like they come out in the movie theater. So it's been interesting to go back to the beginning and kind of see where the roots are. But I decided that I really wanted to watch them because they did, like Sam said, they did seem like a good cap off to this year. But also I think when you get to nine movies, you kind of become culturally relevant whether it's a good series or not. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how the series developed into what it is now. You hear that, George Lucas? When you make it to nine movies, you're culturally relevant whether you should be or not. <laughs> By the way, I think this is a great place to plug what will come after the nine days of Fast and Furious, which is the stupid long movie marathon, stupid 90s action movie edition, where we will be watching the first Mission Impossible. The only one Die I Hard haven't seen. <laughs> so, yeah, see, here's the thing. You, you, got, you, got, you got Mission Impossible. You got Die Hard 3, so you could watch the original, and then you're ready to jump in with the adventures of Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson arguing and running through New York. You don't have to watch number two to play. (laughs) We're also going to be watching Point Break, which as we'll talk about in a minute, is one of the Genesis. Antecedent? Uh, I like Genesis better. I like knowing that that's the plural, whether it is or not. I made it up. Of The Fast and the Furious. We will also be watching the Nicolas Cage holy trinity of 90s action movies, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. Before I hand it over to you, Tessa, to talk about this first film and what you both thought about this, let me give you a little, a little information, uh, some stuff about the series. So, Fast and Furious at this point, feature film alone box office feature film alone is a $6 billion franchise. When you add web shorts, video games, all the other stuff to it, it's more. It is Universal Studios' number one cash cow, which is one of the reasons why they have held fast and furiously to waiting to release F9 until 2021. But when they do, That franchise will be 20 years old with at least two more Mothership movies 
and endless spinoffs coming after. The franchise started as a street racing undercover cop drama, but at some point segued into heists and spies. And maybe, just maybe, they'll be going to space one day. This franchise features Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Kurt Russell, Charlize Theron, Gal Gadot, and many, many others. Some of the directors of the Fast and Furious franchise. John Singleton, director of Boys in the Hood, Four Brothers, and before he died, the FX drama Snowfall. We also have an entry directed by James Wan, who you might know as the director of that little indie feature Aquaman. Another installment was also directed by F. Gary Gray, who directed Friday and Straight Outta Compton. But long before he directed Straight Outta Compton, he actually directed music videos such as It Was a Good Day, Ms. Jackson, and Waterfalls. But the person you probably know of who's done the most Fast and Furious movies is Justin Lin, who's directed the majority of the installments and also the final, we think, Chris Pine, Star Trek reboot, the J.J. Abrams universe. So there's some serious, serious star credentials behind this series, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. I'm done. That's all the good stuff to tell you. All that's left to do is actually talk about this movie. Tessa, tell us about this movie. Here's my quick, my quick summary of the movie. And, and just to remind everyone who's listening to this podcast, unlike Monkey Off My Backlog, where we try to keep spoiler free, the fast, Nine Days of Fast and Furious is what I would like to call spoiler filled. We are going to talk about the entirety of each of these films. Uh, we will not be a shying away from any spoilers. We want to be able to break them down as much as possible. As Sam said, the first film, which was released in 2001, is almost 20 years old. So if you're like me and somehow you've avoided seeing them and not being spoiled by them, cool. If not, you, you may want to see it before listening to the rest of this podcast. Anyway, here's my summary. So the first film, uh, like I said, 2001, it is entitled The Fast and the Furious, which is where the franchise gets its name. It follows undercover cop Brian O'Connor as he infiltrates the drag racing scene in L.A. to discover the perpetrators behind a string of truck robberies involving some pretty complex Honda Civic driving. Over the course of the film, he becomes enmeshed and enamored of a racing crew led by the charismatic Dominic Toretto, forcing him to choose between finding the criminals and protecting the crew, nay, the family, wink wink, that has taken him in. There are cars, there are guns, there are Coronas, there is early 2000 new metal and techno, there are bare midriffs and platforms and pretty much anything you could imagine in an early 2000s movie about drag racing. Anything you could possibly imagine, it is in this movie. So I, I think there's a lot we could dig into here, but first, Colby, what was sort of your reaction? Did you know anything about this movie going into it or did you go in completely cold? Uh, completely cold. I know nothing about the Fast and the Furious um, franchise whatsoever, except I don't know what any of them are called because they all have the same name. First, my first impression of this of this movie was, oh, brother, where art thou ruined movies for about three years? And let me tell you why. 
So the Coen brothers figured out, hey, we can make this movie yellow. And then <laughs> every movie for the next three years was yellow. <laughs> and it drives me wild. This yellow film over the movie is so distracting. It is aggressively early 2000s, but that is my first impression. Um, did I like the movie? Yes. Colby, I gotta tell you, you know what's really funny about that? So they did the tinting with Over Brother Where Art Thou? Their next movie, The Man Who Wasn't There, black and white. It was just a phase. Just a phase <laughs> of the Coen brothers. But yeah, uh, did I love this movie? No. Did I like this movie? No. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. What, what stuck out to you about the movie? What was, what, what was the problem for you when while watching? And this might be my expectations, but so... Let's go back to the Mission Impossible thing. I, for whatever reason, started with the second one, the the John Woo directed one, which also isn't a good movie, but (laughs) it's fun. It's really fun. There are doves flying and people jumping out of windows. And yeah, it's I, I was expecting more of that. And. I feel like the times between the times where they're in cars, when it's just people in rooms talking, it wasn't building the pathos needed for me to care about any of these people. So I was just waiting for it to get back to the fast cars, because at least that looks cool. And I feel like a super meathead saying, give me more cars driving fast. But um, <laughs> I wanted more, more fast and more curiosity. So here's the question, though, right? So we we have Civics, we have Mitsubishi's, we have Subaru. We have my guys, um, Jetta. Suzuki's. (laughs) When you see Toretto's garage door open and he shows you that American muscle, the question is, do you know that that's a Dodge Charger? No, I don't. Me neither. (laughs) I thought it was an Impala. Like it looked like the it looked like the car from Supernatural to me, like like a pimped out version of the car from Supernatural. I do appreciate that you don't need to know a thing about cars <laughs> to to like get the cars, you know. Yeah, I I feel like that's there's going to be a lot of that on this particular series of podcasts where I'm trying to like describe the car and I'm just not going to be able to describe it very well because I don't know anything about cars. But I still felt like I was able to appreciate this. But I do wonder if there's a bit of an expectation problem for anyone who's going to this series now, because, you know, even if you don't know anything about this franchise, like the the image that always sticks out in my mind is like that. I don't even know what movie it is. I'm going to like scream during the episode where we get to this movie. But like there's a scene from one of the trailers where like a car like jumps from one building into another building. And like, I think it's very strange that that scene eventually happens in a movie that is somehow part of the same series as this movie like this movie is very pared down like it is it is a car racing movie and there's a lot of adrenaline but it's not that level of adrenaline it's not like you said it's not mission impossible it's not it's not there yet it hasn't become that also for me this movie is camp like it is absolute total camp is it camp I don't think it's camp. It's so hyper-masculine that it becomes like the male gaze in this film is so intense 
that it kind of curls back in on itself, like, in some ways. Like, all of these dudes are just so, like, they're they're all very styled and, like, they're all very into the cars and the cars are fetishized almost as much as the women are and the women are all, like, very, like, objectified. There's only two named female characters, I think, in the entire film. And I don't even think Michelle Rodriguez's character has a last name. I think her name's just Letty in this film. For me, it just, it felt like performance. Like, there was a lot of just, like, kind of, like, it, it becomes almost that sort of... uh performative drag in a lot of ways at least for me i feel like we talked about uncanny valley earlier i feel like it didn't for me it didn't quite get to the other side it's not transformers where bumblebee is peeing on john Turturro <laughs> in the first transformers movie it doesn't quite get to to that level so it just i see what you mean i just i don't think it gets all the way into camp for me 2001 was not a camp time. I mean, you know, the thing about when you talk about camp is, is it made with the intention of campiness or does it develop campiness after the fact? And developing campiness may be what this has done. But, you know, Colby, you talked about how, oh, brother, where art thou ruined movies for a few years? I mean, you could probably go a little bit farther with that and say that, oh, brother, where art thou is like a prime example of the movies that were being made then. You can talk about you can talk about anything that was made in '99, American Beauty, Magnolia. You can move up to A Brother Where Art Thou. You can even talk about the biggest superhero movie of 2001, Spider Man. You can talk about The Matrix and its unfortunate sequels. There is earnestness. Everybody's trying to do everything 100,000 million percent seriously, and now I think that comes across as camp. You know, like you said, it curled back into itself. Yeah, I think maybe the other thing is that all of these male ca- characters have like this like great chemistry together. Like Paul Walker and Vin Diesel have they're just they're OTP, right? Like I mean, I know what happens to Paul Walker, but like that that seems to me to be this thing where they're like they have this great chemistry that revolves around cars, that revolves around uh, you know, this chosen family vibe which we can talk about a little bit. And I, to me, that combined with the ultra masculinity of this film just kind of lends itself to a little bit of that flavor. And like you said, Sam, maybe it's after the fact. What did you think of the performances, Colby, with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, Ya Rule? Ya Rule. <laughs> I, I did appreciate um, Ya Rule, or as I call him, Slow DMX. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> But I, the performances are full clip. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, they're fine to good. I, I think that Vin Diesel is good in this. I feel like the the women in this movie, besides, I mean, Jordana Brewster, she gets some stuff to do. Michelle Rodriguez is really just there to just touch Vin Diesel every now and then. Uh, and from how I hear people talk about her in the later movies, I imagine she gets a lot more to do. But the performances, for the most part, are good. Fine to good. I, I'd give them a, a B. It's interesting to me that Vin Diesel... Uh, Vin Diesel's career has been so interesting. It's because super he has this ability. He has this ability to take what should really be bad movies, and they're still bad movies, but he makes them like watchable. 
because he's just has this I don't maybe it's earnestness maybe it's just like this personality but he's got a lot of charisma for someone who can only act one way I don't know if it's just like this frequency that he operates at but he turns a lot of these movies into into things that are very interesting but I, I agree with you about Michelle Rodriguez. I'm excited to see her develop a little bit more. I I don't know if I completely buy the chemistry between Brian. That's his name. I keep thinking of him as Paul, uh, Paul Walker. But Brian and Jordana Brewster's character, whose name now I can't remember. <laughs> but I I just, I don't know. It seemed kind of contrived to me. Again, like maybe we'll see it developed. But it just seemed kind of perfunctory. Like, oh, well, we need him to be in love with Dom's uh, sister. So we'll just have that happen. This movie gets its DNA first and foremost from Point Break. This is the undercover cop gets in too deep into the sport of the, of the crime people and, and falls in love in a very manly way with the, the leader of the the whole enterprise. This is Point Break. Being part of the undercover cop sporting genre, we have to talk about the fact that Brian, at the end of the movie, chooses to walk away from being a cop by letting Dom drive away in Brian's own car. How do we feel about that? I mean, in quote-unquote these uncertain times, I feel like there's been a lot said about copaganda, especially since late May, June. I honestly was not expecting, one, I wasn't expecting the, the movie to end right there, but two, I wasn't expecting Brian, that's his name, I was also about to say Paul Walker. I wasn't, I didn't see that coming from... I feel like this movie kind of had, it's not the same movie as Bad Boys, but like the air of Bad Boys. So I was thinking it was going to go in that direction, and then it just doesn't. And that was honestly surprising for me. Do you think part of it's because Dom is more compelling than the, uh, the is the agent, the FBI agent? The, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, Ted Levine? Yeah, Ted Levine's character. Agent Bilkins. That's his name. Captain Leland Stottlemyre of the San Francisco PD, Monk's employer, also known as Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs. Same guy. Enjoy your nightmares, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like the cops are all, like, they're clearly, even though, even though Brian, <laughs> I don't know why I keep blanking on his name, even though Brian is a cop at the beginning of the movie, he just seems way more invested in these this family that that sort of exists around Dominic. He doesn't seem like he communicates well with the other cops who all just seem very bland and kind of boring. We don't get to see any investment in himself. Like he never talks about like, "Oh, well, I I believe I believe in justice and that's why I'm a cop." You know, like usually in a cop film you get some kind of like my father was killed or you know, something that like makes him more of a cop, but he just kind of almost seems like a cop out of default. Like there's there, just because of the story, there's no internal motivation for him to continue to be a cop at all. Also, can we talk about the fact that he is given like an eighty thousand dollar car in order to go undercover to <laughs> to bust this ring of cri- like 
I felt a little offended. Like that's my tax dollars, man. Like why are we why are we giving them eighty thousand dollar cars to bust a group of criminals who are stealing TVs? The overinflated budget of the LAPD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Brian is like the most boring person ever. He's like the most and and to underscore the thing about what we were saying about the early two thousands, those frosted tips. Oh god. That they thought that looked cool. That Don't was say not that ironic. as I just bleached That's... my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene at the very beginning where he, because uh, he, he keeps showing up at the diner, I guess, where Jordana Brewster's character is like working, and the uh, the they're like part of the crew is like watching him walk away, and they're like that hair though, like that's pretty great. Like <laughs> like there's this like whole scene where like the crew is like talking about him like as he's walking away that I think is great. I think there's some good scenes in this film. I also think if we're gonna talk about Keanu Reeves movies, Speed has to be mentioned. Sure. Any film that involves someone jumping out of a car onto a truck, which happens at one point a couple of times actually, like you have to talk about Keanu Reeves jumping from a car onto a bus. Well, to your point, if you think about, so Speed, we get the backstory of Dennis Hopper's character. There's motivation for Keanu Reeves. Uh, point Break, as you'll see, Keanu Reeves has some motivation. We talked about 21 Bridges not too long ago, even, even Chadwick Boseman's character. You know, we, we talked at the time about how kind of thin and overused the trope that that character is based off of. But at least there's a trope there, you know. Maybe maybe we'd remember Brian if we cared about his backstory. Remember Brian I don't. I don't backstory. know. What I do know about Brian is that he has terrible taste in drinks. There is a scene where they're at a party, and uh, one of the big things in this film is is Corona, right? Like they're always like, "I don't care what you drink as long as it's Corona." There's a lot of product placement. But there's a scene where they're at a party and Jordana Brewster's character is like, oh, well, you should get me a drink. And he's like, well, what do you want? She's like, I don't care. Surprise me. And he gets her a gun snapple. I said, like, okay. <laughs> I was like, is there some like early 2000s alcoholic drink that looks like a snapple that I don't know Yeah, about? I know. I was like, what? <laughs> the girl asked for a drink and you got her a snapple. Like, there's tons of Corona there. Joke's on you. She likes Snapple. That's how you get the girl. <laughs> Brian is possibly the most boring part of this movie. But how do we feel about the cars, the racing? Does that interest anyone at this point? Or is it a pretty standard, like, racing film? I mean, the obvious, there's a three point from Fast and Furious to cars, right? It just, it's, it's almost an emotional through line from then to here. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I like the car scenes. I do think, I hope it was intended that I was supposed to laugh at, I think his name was Jesse trying to beat this dude in his dad's Jetta. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I, I really laughed at that for a couple minutes, but yeah, I, I liked racing. I like the, I think this movie does action well, which is why I wanted more action. It's yeah, mostly well, the, uh, the oh, I was just going to say it's mostly well shot. It's not like bad Marvel movie action direction. It's like it, it looks good and it's, that's hard to do. So I was trying to think, and, and I'm not as familiar with like nineties, uh, car action films as well, but I, I was trying to think of. 
any other films that do like those interior shots where they would like go into the car to like show you like the again I don't know cars but like where they would like like right before the race or like right as they were going they would kind of like zoom into like the the hood and they'd show you like the pistons and the engine I feel like they've like action movies since then have emulated that quite a bit I and I kind of think it might be unique to this film I'm not sure if I've seen it before I thought that was a really interesting motif. I'm, I, I think it could probably continues in the other ones because I, I at least know somewhat of the style continues as well. But the action, I thought the action was interesting, even though, like you said, it, it's not quite as bizarre as perhaps it gets later. All right. Is there anything else we want to say before we, we turn over to the fast facts? Fast facts. Do we want to talk about Ja Rule? Should we mention Ja Rule as yes, a part of this? Yes, please. I, th- I think we should. I think, I we, think should. we should. Oh, uh, good lord! This soundtrack. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the DMX thing. I'm sorry. You can't. I don't know what you can do after that. But but tell us. It, I, I got fixated on the new metal of the soundtrack. I'm like the Matrix. You talked about how Brother Where Art Thou ruined movies. The Matrix ruined movie soundtracks mm. for like three years. But so, like, I can't get past that. My brain has no bandwidth for anything else after. It's like a palate. It's like your palate's ruined by, like, you know, somebody poured, like, eight ounces of sriracha on your first bite of food. You're ruined. That's it. <laughs> Tell me what I missed. Let me just read the names on this on this soundtrack because it makes me laugh every time I see it. We have Ja Rule, Tank. Shout out to Ch- Tank. Haven't heard from you in a while. Limp Biscuit, DMX, <laughs> Method Man, and Red Man. Petey Pablo got on the soundtrack for Fast and the Furious. I love every second of it. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Are we ready? Are we ready for a segment that I like to call Fast Facts? And by the way, if you are a Fast and Furious super fan, you know all of this. I know Megan, fan of the podcast who will appear later this week, has heard all of these facts. She knows them all. She will correct me about something. (laughs) Okay, fast fact number one. So we talked about uh, how this movie is clearly inspired by Point Break. However, Paul Walker's inspiration for this character in this movie is Donnie Brasco and Days of Thunder. He wanted to be in a movie where he was either an undercover cop or a race car driver. So, we got so. <laughs> talk about efficiency. <laughs> Never let it be said that if you become an actor in Hollywood, people will not give you what you want. Live your dreams, people. Fast fact number two Vin Diesel was not who was intended to be Dom Toretto originally. The original Dom, Timothy Oliphant. Friend of the podcast, Timothy Oliphant. You might know him as Rayland, you might know him as the best guy in The Good Place. But before all that, he was in the 2000 film, the Nick Cage, Angelina Jolie, stealing cars, driving them fast, classic, gone in 60 seconds. He did not take this movie, allegedly, so the legend goes, because it was too similar to Gone in 60 Seconds. And that, my friends, is why Vin Diesel is a household name. Hmm. These are good facts, you guys. Fast <laughs> fact number three. We talked about the original Dom. Let's talk about the almost Mias, Jessica Biel. 
earlier when you were talking about how this franchise builds and how one is a very small movie and does other things that the, does doesn't quite do the things that the other one does. All I could think about is season one of Buffy, which is fitting because Sarah Michelle Gellar, Kirsten Dunst, Mia could have been a manic pixie dream girl. See, I I just don't. I feel like this movie does not need more white people. Like that was what I actually thought as I was watching it. I was like, oh. Brian is almost too much white people for this movie. By himself. <laughs> yeah, by just himself. by himself. Uh, is Vin Diesel supposed to, to be a, a white man in this movie? Are we to understand that Vin Diesel is white in this movie? I don't. I didn't think that it, he was. I just kind of thought that. I mean, I I didn't think that he was. I mean, I thought that the, the culture around him was very not white. But I guess a couple people in the crew are white. Just wondering. I that's something I was wondering. Is like it. I was like, he he's obviously Vin Diesel. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, uh, the other, like, very 2000s thing, I, which might, kind of is just, like, an L.A. thing, is, like, we have, like, the Latin car people, and we have the Asian car mm-hmm. people, which is, you know, also just how people tend to congregate together, but it's also a very 90s, 2000s sort of thing. We didn't even talk about the whole like motorcycle gang thing of the movie. That's like a whole thing. The the Asian gang yeah. that have motorcycles for some yeah. reason. So okay, let me let me round out this list of almost Mia's. Padme Amidala herself, Natalie Portman, who did not end up taking the role because she was locked in to play Padme Amidala in the Star Wars prequels. Because once again, if you make nine of any film franchise, you are culturally relevant. And finally, I'm going back to the Buffy well. Allegedly, the role of Mia was written for Slayer, Eliza Dushku. See, she's the only one you just listed that I could actually see in the role, Elijah Dushku. She's got the edginess for it. I don't think any of those other people you mentioned have that. The last fast fact for the day. I'm calling this fast fact Lady Drivers. To celebrate the late great television series trial and error, neither Jordana Brewster nor Michelle Rodriguez had driver's licenses. Now, here's the thing about Michelle Rodriguez, right? So we talk about, you guys talked earlier about Michelle Rodriguez's performance in this movie. And having seen more of them, I can tell you she does grow. The Fast and the Furious was released in 2001. Michelle Rodriguez's first feature film credit the indie movie Girl Fight is from 2000. She is still a relatively new feature film actor at this point. Whether or not she had a learner's permit or a driver's license at this point, I don't know. But what I can tell you is, four years later in 2005, while on the island in Hawaii filming Lost, she was involved in a DUI. There's a whole piece of lore. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Here we go. Sorry. Podcast within a podcast. It's time. Has Tessa seen Lost yet? On this episode of Has Tessa Seen Lost Yet? No. This has been another episode of Has Tessa Seen Lost Yet?
Yeah. So the the whole thing is that there's the it's the lost curse. All the people who were on Lost who fell foul of Hawaii PD. And Michelle Rodriguez is probably the most notorious of them. I feel like Michelle Rodriguez has gotten a lot of she's had a kind of a bad not a bad career because I really like her and everything that I've seen her in, but I feel like she gets typecast a lot and it, that's possibly based on this franchise because she's just so well suited to playing an action star in a lot of ways. But I, I don't know. I go, I just, I wish she had more to do in this movie. I'm really excited to see her do more later. Are you ready for some furious stats? Am I supposed to answer? All yes. Right, here we go. <laughs> yes. Get excited. Get psyched. You gotta get all right, so. This is the psychics we're getting, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> the budget for this film was $38 million. No surprise, the cheapest of the franchise. Opening weekend drew in just over $40 million. So there you go. Domestic box office opening weekend made its budget back. There's your proof of concept. Now. I know what you're thinking. It was June of 2001. What else was in the top five that weekend? Well, Fast and Furious debuted at number one. Debuting at number two is the classic film Dr. Doolittle 2. So classic. Coming in number three, the Angelina Jolie action classic Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Coming in at four and five are two animated classics. Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and a little film you might have heard of, Shrek. So to continue. Since we're starting off with the first movie, of course, we're, we're starting some running tallies. Hopefully you'll keep track over the next eight episodes. For today, we have The Family Count at two. Because remember, these movies are about family. So family comes up twice in this movie. And actually, the first person to mention it is Agent Bilkin. The second does not come from one of the family. Does not come from a Toretto. Does not come from Brian. It comes from Tran. He is reacting to the fact that the police raided his house while his family was gathered. So we obviously have not built the family trope yet. We see it. We don't hear it. It has not been beaten into our brains with a giant sledgehammer yet. Stay tuned. We're also keeping track of our corona moments. There are two corona moments. We have coronas at the party. After Brian gets Dom home safe and not arrested, he gets anybody's drink, as long as it's a corona. And then we have the nice picnic dinner, the family dinner where they don't actually mention family. But they have a nice family picnic dinner, and there are Coronas for everybody. So that's your count. Two family, two Corona. All right, guys. Like every street racing event, it's time to scatter. Join us tomorrow for the next installment of the Nine Days of Fast and Furious. We'll be talking about the most appropriately named sequel ever, Too Fast, Too Furious. Over the next eight days, we have more guests and lots more holiday spirit lined up. You better watch out. You better not cry, you better not pout, because Jason Statham and The Rock are taking over for Santa this Christmas Eve. Watch along with us, tweet at us, email us, let us know all your Fast and Furious thoughts. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog and email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Colby, where can people find you online? All right, get ready. So you can find me on Twitter at Colby Complains. You can find me talking about sports on Never Made Varsity, talking about life on Martha and Colby Grow Up, talking about Avatar The Last Airbender on The Four Nations Report, and also writing about sports in very shortly Christmas movies on popculturesub.com. All right. And as I mentioned, as we mentioned at the top, Colby is a friend of the podcast. He will be here talking about, I don't know, Die Hard, something else at some point, at some point in the next several months. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. That's All my... right. Hey, have you seen The Terminator? <laughs> no. We got we to gotta work on the action movies. You can find Tessa on Twitter at Swela Tessa. S-W-E-H-L-A. You can find her on Letterboxd at the same place. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9 and on Letterboxd at Archie Leach 9. Also, check out our regular weekly episodes of Monkey Off My Backlog, as well as our newest series, Monkey Nights. Our special holiday theme song is Scott Holmes's version of Jingle Bells and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Find the podcast on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's all about family. See you next time.